This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Take care of your property with equipment you can count on, like the Kubota BX and LO1 Series compact tractors, part of our under 100 horsepower tractor lineup, rated number one for reliability, and Z-Series mowers and sidekick utility vehicles, where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Visit GoKubota.com for a dealer near you. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So, yeah, I used the savings from switching to Progressive 50 years ago to finally buy my dream car. It's a self-driving flying car, but we just say self-flying now. You know, because it's the future, and cars fly in the future. So switch to Progressive and save big, because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and in this episode, I'll be talking to Simon Peach, who is the chief football writer for the Press Association. Simon also happens to be a Southampton supporter. He's on to share his thoughts on Southampton ahead of the match against Fulham. This is our view of the opposition show, which is our preview for this upcoming match. I look forward to doing the show, but before I do anything else, I have to welcome back Simon to the show. It's been probably over five years. Simon, welcome back to Cottage Talk. How are you? Good. It's nice to be back. It's great to have you back, my friend. I thought this is the perfect time to have you on. You covered Fulham several years ago, and you obviously are a Southampton supporter, so you could talk about both. So I thought this would be a great guest to have on yourself. So let's get into this. First of all, before we talk about Southampton, in case some fans aren't familiar with you from your time covering Fulham, just talk a little bit about you covering Fulham and, uh, and just share whatever you want about the club. Well... Yeah, uh, I covered Fulham for a number of years when I was based in London and now based up north. I predominantly cover Manchester United and the England football team. Uh, one's doing obviously a lot better than the other at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, so I spent a number of years covering Fulham, probably the most enjoyable period actually covering them because you got to know the people at the club and 
there isn't a whole lot of pressure that comes with covering a Fulham, but there's also the interesting stories. Um, but yeah, so I, I covered it from the start. Uh, from my first match was <laughs> was the day that the Michael Jackson statue went up. Uh, I believe that was against Blackpool. Um, wow! So the, the Michael Jackson statue day that was a good day. Um, uh, and then yeah, I covered it all through, and then they went down. And I've always kept an eye on them. Anyone that uh, is foolish enough to follow me on Twitter will see that I try and keep on top of. Fulham when it comes to the transfer transfer windows and yeah. I was there at Wembley in May I made sure I, I worked that game to to so I could be there and that was a, that was was a special too, occasion. No, yeah. oh, you should have let me know, but it was a it was a special occasion. It's nice. It, was. it uh, nice to see good things happen to good people. I know obviously there's a lot flying around at the moment, uh, accusations of the like, which I'm sure we wouldn't be getting into on a podcast like this. But there's a lot of good people at that club, and I was really yeah. really happy for the fans and for them to see them back in the Premier League. Oh, that's great, Simon. And listen, I'll be asking you a little bit more about Fulham as we get into this, but let's now transition and let's talk about Southampton. And what's interesting about them is that uh, I want to just get your view on their time in the Premier League because I remember you and I talking about, I want to say five years ago, and you were just hoping that they'd stay in the league at that point, that first season. And then obviously you went on, to have a few successful seasons, and now it's kind of gone in the other direction. And I've watched, I want to say about three or four years ago, this great documentary on Southampton, basically showing the Southampton way. I found it fascinating. I thought, okay, here's a team that could be in the top 10 for years to come, the way it was built. So I'm curious through your eyes, what has happened to Southampton, the beginning stages of its time in the Premier League, to where it is now? And can you pinpoint what is gone right and then what went wrong to where you are right now i believe the the documentary watch was the i think it was men in blazers or one of the guys yes. from that that did it yes. yeah i watched Roger that. It was, it was, yeah it was in, it was an interesting watch and it did highlight how good things were yes um, but there's a if you don't evolve you fall back especially in the premier league um so southampton for those that are unaware quite the lows that they plummeted uh, in 2009 they uh, were in administration were relegated from the championship to league one uh, which for a club that had been in the top flight i think was 27 years straight before they were eventually relegated under harry redknapp uh, in 2005 that's it was quite a fall southampton have never been the biggest club in the world anyone at southampton will tell you that but it wasn't an, a position they were used to being in uh, and they gradually rose um well, actually quite quickly rose from League yes. 1 uh, through to the Premier League under Nigel Adkins. There was a bit of money spent, but it was good coaching, good talents. I mean, in the side that we had in League 1, we had Adam Lana, Morgan Schneiderlin, Ricky Lambert. We had a lot of talented players. Uh, and in the Premier League, yeah, the first season wasn't comfortable, uh, nor was it particularly well handled when they sacked Nigel Adkins in the January right. uh, a couple of days after drawing two or Chelsea and replacing with Mauricio Pochettino. But obviously... As we've seen, as the years have gone on, that was a very good appointment in the sense of he's a very good manager. Uh, Ronald Koeman after that, despite all the player sales, that that went well. Um, But when Ronald Koeman left, things slightly went awry. Whether it was complacency behind the scenes in terms of things will just continue as they are, I don't know. Claude Puel was brought in and Southampton got to the EFL Cup final, which is obviously a great achievement for a club 
of the, that size, but he didn't win over the fans. And I think that's, I don't think Claude Puel was the right man for the job as well as he's done at Leicester. And I'm glad he's doing so well. But the problem was, I think doing that meant that the fans always felt they were always right. Uh, and they're not. We, we, it's just natural. You can't always be right. You can't always kick your feet and say, oh, we want, we want change because it doesn't always work like that. Um, so Mauricio Pellegrino came in. It didn't work. Uh, the signings didn't work. I mean, Southampton were fated for their transfer system and their, their policy and their signings. But at that time, the good ones were good, but the bad ones were bad. But now, sadly, the bad ones are all bad. Guido Carrillo was brought in in January to help stave off relegation and was loaned out 164 days later to Leganes, who who cost £20 million. Southampton have basically written that off and are paying his wages almost in entirety. Mark Hughes came in, got eight points from eight games, kept the club up. But the problem they have is there's no leadership anymore. There's no heart. What kept, what's got Saints up through the leagues and up the table, I think they finished, which is a remarkable feat. I think it was eight years in a row they bettered their previous season's finished, culminating in finishing sixth uh, in Ronald Koeman's final season. But that was never sustainable. But what was sustainable was top 10 finishes. Right. If they kept buying smart, but they didn't. They, put, they took their eye off the prize. They gave silly money to the wrong people. They made wrong manager appointments. And they've that behind the scenes that the feeling is uh, that, yeah, the eye is off the prize. They've got an absent owner and the um, the players, last season the problem were the, the players that were better, the better players technically were going, we're too good for this and they weren't knuckling down. We want out of here. They eventually knuckled down. Now the problem is the good eggs that are around the camps, people like your Matt Targets, who Fulham yeah. fans know so, so well, He's not Trust being me, a bad we, we egg. We want him badly. I'm, I'm going to tell you that. Yeah. I just don't want him back here. He is a wonderful player and he's a great guy from every time I've ever dealt with him. I still speak to him rel- now and again. Yep. He is a great guy. But he is disillusioned, surely, by the fact that he doesn't get any game time. Um, and you've got other youth products like James Ward-Prowse, who played for England, who's in that same boat. So when you've got the core of what your club's supposed to be about being disillusioned... Uh, wondering where, where the direction is, um, that's going to affect... If Basically, if the good guys are disillusioned, then what, what, what's going to happen with the bad guys? And right. Mark Hughes isn't doing a great job. So there's my little 10-minute rant. <laughs> well, it's fascinating because it goes back to something that you said earlier during your rant, is that I thought that Southampton was going to be, like you said, a top 10 club every year. I, I thought they have that potential on a regular basis. I still think that they do. So I was just curious why it went in the other direction. I think you did a very good job of explaining that. And I want to ask you this because we're talking about managers. And, of course, we have a managerial change with Fulham. And you talk about Pochettino doing such a great job, Kuman doing a great job. Did it get to the point, Simon, I'm curious your thoughts on this, that they just thought that they could plug anyone into that role and that the uh, ship would just continue to move forward? Maybe. And then maybe there was just the fact that I can't think of any other Premier League clubs in recent times that have had two managers plucked away because they were doing so well. If you look at managerial reigns anywhere, they tend to get sacked. So the club to be doing so well that the managers are actually being taken away is is not unprecedented, but very, very rare. Yep. Um, I mean, when's the last time Fulham lost a manager to another team? 
I can't. I'm just, no, I can't remember. You get rid of them when they've seen their the end of their time, or yeah. if somebody thinks their their ambitions aren't met. Like well, that, there is one there, but, but <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. story. Yeah, so I think that was difficult, and they lost their bravery. And as I was alluding to with the um, the fans, the fact that the fans had their say. Um, meant that the fans have had more impact. I think the, the social media has had a, had a knock-on effect. So, for example, um, Mark Hughes got the job. I don't. I wasn't against Mark Hughes getting the job, but I was perplexed by the fact that there wasn't a comprehensive recruitment process after he kept us up. He was brought in on a short-term deal to do a job. He did a job. He got eight points from eight games. Southampton stayed up more because of Swansea being dreadful than Southampton being good. There should have been a comprehensive recruitment process. And if then Mark Hughes was the right man, fine. But there wasn't. They basically decided at board level, the fans are happy with him. Let's stick with him. We don't want to upset the fans. Well, do you know what? Sometimes you've got to upset the fans in your in your way. And unfortunately, the only way they are upsetting the fans at the moment is by sitting on their hands, which they have yeah. done for the last 18 months. They have Southampton have gone a calendar year with one Premier League home victory. That's that's dreadful. I don't understand how we're not in the championship already. Um, and that was against Bournemouth, a Bournemouth side that were already on the beach, metaphorically as well as obviously physically as they are. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a club in disarray. It's it's lost its soul. Um, it's really sad. It it doesn't feel like it's a million miles away from things clicking into gear. Uh, but something needs to change. The club have obviously got rid of the. Um, Vice Chairman of Football Operations is some fancy title like that. Les Reed, who has played an integral role in the club. It's club's rise, and that shouldn't be forgotten, but nor should it be overlooked the way things have been let to just fester for the last two years. And his right-hand man, uh, who was the t- technical director, Martin Hunter, who I also believe was best man at his wedding, they were that close, uh, has fo- followed on the same day. That, to me, is a shot across the bowels to everyone at that football club on the football side. So that's Ross Wilson, who's the head of scouting. That's to the manager and his coaching staff that if they don't up their game, they are next. Because for those that are unaware, Southampton were taken over by uh, the Gao family, a a very rich family from China. Uh, They sound like nice people, but no one's really heard from them. They're, they're, They're very quiet, which is okay if things are going okay, but they're not really at the moment. So they're going to have to find their voice. Um, it's just a bit of a strange time because, as you said, when we spoke five years ago, I just wanted Southampton to stay up. That's right. But but now you've got that everything there. You've got you're paying Southampton are paying wages in probably the top eight in the Premier League. Uh, but they're all it's all going in the wrong places. That's what's fascinating about this. Simon, I'm glad I could have you on to talk a little a bit about this because I go back to those years that you were starting to really do well, and you just brought it up. You have the infrastructure there to be successful, to be a top 10 side. And uh, it sounds like to me there's a combination of factors, and you've talked about it, and ownership is certainly has to be one of them. But let's get back to talking about Hughes. I want to focus now on him because it does sound like to me, and I've read here, that he – is on the hot seat. You've also said that that he could potentially be someone that could uh, be gone at some point. So let's talk about him at Southampton. You you talked a little bit about him, and then after that, I want to get your thoughts about Mark Hughes's time at Fulham and compare the two. 
So yeah, Hughes is um has had good periods in his managerial career. Um it just doesn't feel like this is a long-term fit. I thought it was a really smart short-term decision to bring him in if you were going to bring in anyone, but just not a very good long-term one and it and it's panning out. They spent all pre-season practicing with a five-man defense and after 45 minutes or whatever it was of the opening game of the season, he's been dead. He's not been back since. He's bizarrely stuck with a defender called Wesley Hoop, cost about £15 million, uh, and he's got no confidence. Um, so if you're going to get a goal on Saturday, that's exactly where it's going to come from. I can tell you that now. Um, it's just, it's just, it's, he's, he's lost the fans. Um, but my, the, the club needs to make what, a decision one way or the other pretty swiftly because last season they let it stay on until February, March. Um, they were so overconfident last season that they didn't even look at financial models of the possibility of going down at that point. Um, I suspect they're going to be getting the finger out a little bit sooner if things don't turn around because it's very tight down the bottom. And right. uh, yeah, Hughes hasn't really, Hughes hasn't really justified. Last season, he justified his pay packet. He hasn't this season. Okay, very good there. Maybe we'll talk about him in a little bit when we talk about Fulham. But let's talk about Southampton. It's funny. I was uh, saw some quotes from Tony Gale, and he basically, I'm paraphrasing, said that where Southampton are right now doesn't show exactly that they can actually be a good side. You talked about that. It seems close to clicking. So let's talk about the beginning of the season and what has been the difference from it being able to click. Uh, if, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be a very rich man. Um, <laughs> We have a good goalkeeper in Alex McCarthy. Um, should also add at this point that Fraser Forster is in one of the top top paid goalkeepers in the world. is currently fourth choice and has, I think, three and a half years left. That's one of the issues, many, many issues that people don't seem to notice. Uh, you've got Cedric Suarez and Ryan Bertrand at fullback, who are probably some of the best fullbacks outside the top six, um, but their attitude is questionable. Uh, and you've got a central defence where you've signed Yannick Vestergaard, who's the biggest player, uh, the tallest player, outfield player in the Premier League. He's a giant and he looks a good defender and he hasn't started a game for goodness how knows how long. They've been switching with Jack Stevens, uh, Maya Shida and Wesley Hoot, who's just Teflon Don. Um, so that is where the issue is defensively, is at the heart of it, because then everything falls apart around it. Um, if you had a strong, stable centre-back pairing, um, whoever that may be, uh, that would be a massive thing. Because if you look at the Manchester City game, for example, where Southampton yeah. were, and I know everyone gets ripped apart by Man City, um, their heads dropped. It was a, And the defence has no organisation. And in front of them, fiddling around with, do you play with two defensive-minded players? you play with one defensive-minded player surrounded by more attacking players? They haven't quite nailed that down. They haven't quite nailed down who's who's best to be wingers. They haven't quite nailed down whether it should be a two-man up front or a, a striker like Danny Ings or Charlie Austin with two quicker wide players like Elianusi or, or Redmond. There's a lot of indecision. I mean, look, we're talking... I'm saying this from a Southampton perspective. Right. I look at Fulham and I'm bemused by the number of changes that Slavisa made, which, <laughs> which, which reeks of uh, not knowing what the hell to do. Yeah. Um, so... And and that's what happens at Southampton, and it's just a very, it's a very frustrating side to watch. I'll be honest, I I, I haven't even brought myself to watch the highlights of the last game because 
it's just the same old, same old. There's and there's also I think in terms of the problems that they have, there is a mental fragility. Um, they go one nil up, even two nil up, and you can see them looking over their shoulders rather than looking forward. They they were two nil up against Brighton at home. They managed to draw two all, stuff like that. Leicester they were one nil up uh, and they they lost two one. They can't. They they drew nil nil with Newcastle at home. Yep. I was there. That sadly, it's just a side devoid of confidence, a side devoid of organisation uh, and spirit. So all in all, when you got Claudio Ranieri in, if you're not winning this game, then I don't know what you're going to do. Okay, very good there, my friend. It's interesting because I'm just looking at um, some of the results recently, and it's funny. In your last four, there are the three draws there and one loss. So there has been some improvement. Like you said, something isn't clicking where you're actually able to get all three points. Uh, but also, your- I would I would also say look at who those results are against. True. It's it's all Southampton have had a very favourable fixture list. Yes, they should have beat Watford, and Charlie Austin lost his mind, as you may well have seen. Yes, I uh, have. About, about the requisition. That's fine. It should have been 2-0. But you know what else? You should have been able to hold on to a 1-0 lead with 10 minutes to go if you have anything about you as a Premier League side. They drew 0-0 at home to Newcastle, a side that had gone 10 or 11 games without a win at that point. They sure. drew 0-0 at Bournemouth. They had a last chance, they had a miss at the end, but Bournemouth could have been out of sight. Uh, and then you, yeah, it's, it's any positive results are kind of masking deficiencies. I don't, as I say, I don't think they're a million miles away, right. but there are some glaring errors which aren't being fixed. I, I hear that, and uh, unfortunately I see a lot of that with Fulham, and it's uh, <laughs> been a mess, and uh, we'll talk about them in just a bit there, my friend, but I want to focus still on Southampton, and uh, what, I, what I usually do in the, these shows, uh, Simon, I usually go to uh, whoscore.com just to see what they say about strengths and weaknesses and, and see if they match up with what you know about your club. So I'm just going to read these to you. This is what they say. Let's start with strengths and see if uh, you agree with it. They, they list two strengths, stealing the ball from the opposition, very strong, creating scoring chances, strong. And then it says style of play, take a lot of shots, play with width, take long shots, long balls, attempt crosses often, attacking down the left, rotate their first 11, and they're aggressive. That's just strengths and style. Then I'll give you weaknesses in just a second. What What are your thoughts on that? Does that match up with what you know about Southampton? And if there are other strengths you'd like to mention, please do. Uh, well, strength, creating chances, yes. They don't score any. Um, that's that's been a huge uh, huge thing. They've they've got the bluntest strike force. It's it's kind of remarkable. Um, yeah, I mean, they do attempt, they like overlapping, uh, and yeah. that is actually when the fullbacks, and that's when they're most, uh, they're dangerous, yeah. they're that most dangerous. Um, they do win balls in midfield because Romeo, who hasn't had the best season, is a very able defensive midfielder. Mario Lamina is a top six player, comfortably, um, and Hoiberg is as well. And he, yeah, so they do, they can win the ball, but it's just retaining it and scoring, which are quite key aspects. Okay, very good. This is what it lists as weaknesses, and uh, I think you're going to agree with something because you've already been talking about them. It says weak, defending against long shots, protecting the lead. You've already talked about that, avoiding individual errors. Defending set pieces, and this is the one that stands out to me. You've already talked about this. Very weak, finishing scoring chances. Yeah. Um, When it says individual errors, they might as well just put Wesley Hoot down there. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, individual area is dreadful. Set yeah. pieces can't. Yeah, it's that to me is a sign of a badly coached side. Um, set pieces are the bread and butter, Absolutely. quite frankly. When you have big players, you've talented players. Um, defending against long shots, I mean, I can think of some long shots that Saints considered this season, but that that if you reduce side to long shots, that's normally a good thing, in yeah. my opinion, because they're desperate. So protecting the lead, 100%. Individual errors, 100%. Defending set pieces, 100%. And finishing scoring chances, I mean, yeah, Southampton's conversion. I, th- I can't remember the statistic exactly, but I know I can try and find it. But basically, Southampton have had the second or third highest number of shots this season because they're so desperate to get get a result. And it's just, just soul-destroying watching. You might be able to get there from the tone of my voice. Uh, it's just very hard. I can hear that from you, Simon. All right, let's talk about key players for this match. After you do that, I'm, I'm going to give you some names of players. Again, this is according to whoscore.com, and I've actually seen some reports as well. Players that are doubts, and actually Ryan Bertrand is out for this match because he's suspended. But uh, I want to get, in your eyes, key players against Fulham for Southampton. If Lamina's anywhere near his best, he'll run the show. Um, Hoiberg as well has been very, very good to uh, Hoiberg's probably been our best player this season. Um, he's around, he'll, he'll do some damage. Danny Ings has been a really smart signing. He's actually the kind of signing that Southampton should be making. I know eyebrows are raised about the £20 million that it's going to cost. But at the end of the day, he's a player. Well, one, he's from Southampton. He's a Southampton fan. That is very important at a club, which has seen so many players leave, to have someone that's actually happy to be there. Um, I think that's really important. At this stage, I think Redmond's pace can be a problem. It'll be, I mean, with Matt Target, it'll be interesting to see whether he is uh, he's a bit. Rec- if you feel if he's going to be really desperate to impress at Craven Cottage, or whether being, um, or whether it's going to feel too homely for him to to be his, to have that bite in his game and, and, and be his best. Okay, very good there, my friend. All right, okay. So it lists injuries you've already talked about. Lamina, so I'm assuming that would be a huge mess. And, of course, I just mentioned the uh, situation with Ryan Bertrand. What about Shane Long and Danny Ings? They're listed as doubts for this match, so would, would that be significant losses for not being able to play in this match? Look, I, I really like Shane Long as a in terms of a player that can stretch the game. When him and Sadio Mane together, they, they were great. Yeah. But he doesn't score. <laughs> so uh, I don't... <laughs> He's a forward that doesn't score, so how much of a loss he is, it's, it depends on the way that Saints would set up. Danny Ings would be uh, a loss because he he works hard and he's just he's just a pain in the backside for defenders. Ryan Bertrand's a loss, but I'd be quite excited to see targets, to be honest. And, yeah. and as I said, Lamina, on his day, is better than anything in the bottom half of the table, probably, uh, or outside the top six. That day is all too infrequent. Okay, excellent there. All right, let's now transition, talk about Fulham, and then we'll break down this match. What are your thoughts about the sacking of Slavisa? Let's start there, and then I'll ask you about Ranieri. Um, it's sad that Slavisa has gone. Uh, obviously, he's provided Fulham with one of their, their greatest days at Wembley. Um, but he, he felt like a runaway train, and he didn't know how to stop it in terms of defensive organisation. There's a lot of money has been spent. And I'm personally of the opinion that I, I was, I've been on national broadcasters in the UK 
praising Fulham's signings. Yep. So I can't go back Fulham's on that now. <laughs> but what I can say is that in hindsight, and perhaps with a bit more foresight, looking a couple of miles down the road to Queen's Park Rangers, when they came up, they lost all of their momentum because they replaced the players that had taken them up with so so supposed superior players or superior names. Um, and it didn't work for them. Uh, and they tried to get themselves out of a hole and, in fact, just dug themselves deeper into it. Um, so that's my fear, is that the uh, the momentum's gone. The I don't know whether the team spirit's gone, but just there is a momentum that comes. I mean, look at Bournemouth. I mean, I still don't understand how some of those guys are starting in the Premier League. But they... they there's something about them. But they that, play together that, as a team, Simon. That's what I noticed exactly. in Bournemouth. Yeah, and they have a settled team, which I've noticed that Fulham don't have. Right. Uh, so, yeah, Jukanovic, look, he's a great coach. You look at his manager or CV, it's excellent. He'll walk into another job. I mean, Southampton wouldn't... wouldn't It wouldn't surprise me if Southampton looked at him. Um, that's not said with any kind of inside information. Sure. It's just I know that Saints have liked it, the look of him in the past. Uh, and he's a good manager, uh, and he'll be free. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just wasn't working, was it? I mean, it wasn't working, that. Simon. But I, I'm just going to say I'm one that did not want them to do this. That's just me because I could see I, what they were doing. I would have given him a bit longer. That's just my thought on that. Certainly with Southampton him... coming up, if he couldn't beat Southampton, yeah, then do the do the deed. But uh, but at the same time. It's clearly been a while in the in, in the making oh, days, if not weeks, because Claudio yeah. Ranieri um, was in the UK. Well, it's, apparently, he lives very close, so that's handy. Yeah, he does. Um, but he, yeah, he he wasn't just. Well, it was announced at the same time, wasn't it? So it was obviously done, which always make it always sits a little bit dodgily with me. But I'm there with you. He, Claudio Ranieri is a good defensive coach, uh, and he is a nice guy. So that bodes well. I agree with that, Simon, but here's my issue. And again, I, I think Ranieri is potentially going to be the right person for Fulham football club, but I'm just trying to think about how this is going to be. I mean, they are going to be changing styles. Let's just say that. Savisa style is nowhere near where Ranieri's is. Ranieri's going to, I believe, get them results. So I think that's number one on the cons list right now is they just want to stay safe. In fact, I think Ranieri said that that's what Shai Khan said to him, safe, the word safe. So I, I understand that. But um, this is difficult for me because I love the style, Simon. And it's one of these things is do you want the results or do you want the style? And uh, I'm split here. So I'm curious your thoughts on why I'm kind of conflicted here. I, I liked what Savisa was building, and now we're going to a completely different way of playing football. And uh, it's hard for me to just say, okay, fine, we're going to throw away the attractive football. Now we're just going to try to grind out results. Um, I know I, I know what you're saying. Uh, I don't think, from what I saw of Leicester, for example, that they were unattractive. They It's just less passing and more playing to your strengths. Um, yep. Yeah. Is whether he can use that style again, I'm, I'm not sure because I don't know whether Fulham have the players to do that. I don't think Mitrovic is going to be doing what well, James Barney did. That's my concern. Yeah, that's um, my concern. But this is a guy that has coached the top size in Europe for 20, 30 years. 
Um, he will find a way to use the pieces he has. When he went into Leicester, he didn't do anything for the first week or so. He just watched everyone, worked out the pieces he had. And obviously, I'm not, I don't think you're going to go on a title run, but he's a smart guy. He'll, he'll work with the tools he has. I can't see him going in and ripping everything up either straight away. I don't think you're going to go straight. I don't think it's going to be Sam Allardyce long ball football. Oh, I don't think it's going to be that either. I just think that it might be less playing out from the back and more, yeah. here you go, guys, in front of the back four, you do your job and we'll just stay rigid, which you have the players to do that. Right. And again, this is what we're going to see. Listen, I think it's a good hire. I think it's the proper hire. I'm just trying to see how this is all going to play out. And, and maybe part of it, this, Simon, with me is is how much I enjoyed watching Savisa and his football, and I'm just going to have to get used to a different type of football. But this guy has gotten the results, like you said. And yes, under him at uh, Leicester City, it wasn't non-attractive football. It was just different. And I, I think it'll just be an adjustment for me getting used to uh, Ranieri. And uh, I, I think he has a chance to do well for Fulham. But it might be an adjustment now? to winning football as well. So that might be positive. <laughs> it would be nice to win winning football matches too. So, <laughs> so yes, yes. I, I, I think that might change my mood very quickly. Very good point by you. All right, let's um, let's now talk a little bit more about Fulham. I mean, you've already really talked about what's been going on this season, where it really being a mess and, and not having a, a consistent starting eleven, and really, it was almost like a rudderless ship at times, and it was frustrating to watch because I could see what he was trying to do; it just wasn't working. And defensively, it was a mess. But let's talk about the upcoming match and players that would concern you as a Southampton supporter heading into it. Well, do you know what? It's hard to pick. It's easy to pick out names by their CV more than what I've seen from them recently. Right. Uh, and even, I mean, Sessegnon, most, probably the most, one of the most exciting talents in English football. But hasn't, I've not seen, he's, he's living off reputation in my, for me, just because I, I haven't seen enough of him to make me go, wow, since he's got in the Premier League. Schurler, I liked at the start of the season, yeah. but from what I'm hearing, he hasn't been playing very well. Um, so it's it's difficult. Um, look, the player I'd fear most is Mitrovic because yeah. he will bully that back line if he's utilised properly. Um, and I and I, I've seen a lot of Fosse Mento over the years, uh, and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's some reason he didn't play at Liverpool, but I would be playing him at right back. Because uh, he has the pace and the power to do some damage down there. Mawson is an excellent defender, but I mean, if Kearney's available or Seri to pick the locks, and you've got Mitrovic, you can do some real damage to Southampton. Okay, very good there. All right, my friend, let's uh, let's get into this. Let's uh, move on, and uh, I do this section I call which team has the advantage. So let's look at Fulham's attack versus Southampton's defense. Now you've talked about your fear of your team's defence. So who would you give the advantage to in this matchup? Uh, I'd give Fulham the advantage in that section um, because Southampton's defence uh, is about as organised as Fulham's. <laughs> okay. So let's let's flip it over, and I'm sure it's going to be a Southampton advantage here. Southampton's attack versus Fulham's defence. But you've talked about the problems that Southampton yeah. has had scoring goals. Uh, I think the advantage will be Fulham's defence purely because the ones that have been used, Ranieri will have drilled them and the players that he wanted to drill will have been 
not on international duty, you'd think the, the back four uh, or the back five if he decides to go that way. Um, and Southampton have scored, haven't, can't, can't buy a goal. And even when they do score them, they get ruled out. So, uh, yeah, uh, just just a hunch. But Southampton do have the odd habit of just nicking an away goal. But I, I do feel that Fulham, if they have been worked hard and they have a... Ranieri has an idea of how he wants to line up. Okay, very good. Here's another battle I'm curious about because I'm not sure how central midfield is going to play under Ranieri. And you've already mentioned how well central midfield can be for Southampton. So I know it's a difficult matchup. But what are your thoughts on it rather than giving some team an advantage? Uh, well, Southampton's midfield is an island of quality in a, in a sea of rubbish. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Lamina's available, obviously he, he is a bit of a doubt. Um, I think Saints will... Uh, and also, Fulham have the quality and the talent, but the players haven't really. I mean, Angisa, I was expecting big things. So was I. He's not really. He's not done anything. Seri is just flashes of quality. Unless I'm unless I'm missing something. Um, I think Southampton have more consistent midfielders, but that's probably the only part of the field where I think they they will do well against Fulham. Okay, let's talk about the coaches. Who do you give the uh-huh. advantage to? Uh, well, it should be Mark Hughes, but because he's had the side for eight months now, or whatever it is. Uh, but Ranieri, there's always that new manager bounce. And they've had two weeks, a lot of players that haven't been on international duty working with a manager that they're trying to impress and a manager that's trying to solidify things and find the best way to utilise his players. I think Ranieri has the advantage in that sense. Hughes just doesn't seem to have whatever it is at the moment. Okay. Before we move on and we go to predictions, I want to ask you real quick about Mark Hughes's time at Fulham because this is a, a hard one for me. The fans obviously don't like Mark Hughes. I, I don't like Mark Hughes the way that things ended. But I'm conflicted because I thought that season, Simon, was a good season. And that's what's so frustrating. So through your eyes, you've covered it. What are your thoughts about his time at Fulham? It's a bit of a blur, really. Um, the most overriding memory is the fact he said, obviously, in every sentence when I was doing this press conferences. <laughs> uh, it was good. They had some, you had some good players, um, played some nice football. Dempsey was great back then. Uh, it, was, it was a nice time to cover the club. Uh, and then he obviously left in some... In acrimonious circumstances, I remember when Mohammed, I got a statement sent to me from Mohammed Al Fayed um, reg- regarding Hughes's comments about ambitions and stuff. And yeah, yeah, that was quite quite inflammatory, but quite quite funny as well. And yeah, look, this is a guy that had ideas above his station. Maybe that's natural when you were at Manchester City, but as we've seen, things haven't quite gone to plan for him. No. Um, I understand why. Fulham fans will dislike him. And do you know what? If you go a couple of goals up, I think everyone in that stadium will dislike Mark Hughes. <laughs> totally agree with that. That's very funny there, my friend. All right, let's go through my section of predictions. But before I get your prediction for the match, I just like to do this. Through your eyes, what does Southampton need to do to win this match? How do they win it at Craven Cottage? Uh, have an organized defense and score goals, which sounds very basic. 
but they are two things that Southampton have been incapable of doing uh, for far too long. Uh, if they can get one of those, <laughs> then they might be all right. Okay. Now I'm going to put you in the shoes of Claudio Ranieri. How does Fulham win this match? Uh, picks on them at set pieces, um, shows some solidity at the back and breaks quickly against a side that has, if you can bypass the midfield, their defence is very sloppy. Um, and as, a, as I alluded to earlier, it changes as much as, as, much as Fulham's. Uh, yeah, the centre-back pairing are, are not, they do not feel, fulfil their teammates with confidence. So if Mitrovic can rough them up and you can throw in a few crosses and get a few set pieces, I just don't see how Fulham wouldn't score. Okay, it's funny, you were reading my mind. I was thinking you might say Mitrovic, and that's what was going through my mind because I think that this might be his match to break out of, a, I guess you could say, a little bit of a slump. So uh, we shall see, my friend. All right, let's uh, finish this up with your prediction for the match. I think uh, Fulham win. Uh, I think it will be comfortable. Um, I think it will be, an, I think you'll have a nice feel good factor. I hope and so. I think. <laughs> And I think that if that is the case, then uh, that might be the end of Mark Hughes' time at Ambitious Southampton. Wow. Very interesting there. Okay, I'm actually going to go for 2-1 to fall. That's going to be my prediction. I don't think that Claudio Ranieri is going to get his queen sheet. I would like to see it, but I don't think that's going to happen. But you think agree. he'll get the three points. That's I all think that matters. He, I, no I, think, I think this is the match for him. Like you said, the, the new manager bounce. He's had a little bit of time to work with many of the players. Some are coming back like Mitrovic and Seri and a few others. But I think, um, especially in defense, I think he's going to have those players for a decent amount of time to work with them. So hopefully they will be ready to go. And uh, I think Fulham are going to get all three points. That's just my thoughts on that. All right, Simon, listen, thank you so much for doing this with me. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, please tell everyone how they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah. I'm at, at Simon Peach. I got there before any of my namesake rivals got in there. I uh, can't imagine there's many of them. Um, but yeah, I, I, you, you'll see a lot about Southampton, Manchester United and England. So as long as you don't mind putting up with that, then then knock yourself out. All right. Well, listen, it's, it's been just a pleasure having you back on the show. Just want to mention that co-host and uh, com editor uh, Dan Crawford mentioned that he was looking forward to hearing the, this interview. So, Dan, this is for you. It's the return of <laughs> Simon Peach. Just want to mention that. But let's wrap this up, my friend, for my very special guest, Simon Peach. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.